Today's show is brought to you by Bogart Extractors, an industry leader in hydrocarbon extraction. Over the last decade, Bogart has implemented many new technologies, which have helped to revolutionize the way hydrocarbon extractions are performed. Each unit is made with sanitary stainless steel and is built and tested right here in the USA. Their certified system for use in licensed facility meet all NFPA and ASME standards and undergo peer-reviewed by third-party engineers to ensure facilities and its employees can operate safely. Beyond simply making a functional extractor, Bogart has many additional features which make extraction faster and more cost-effective compared to other manufacturers. These features include hydrocarbon failing films to supercharge evaporation rates, heavy-duty explosion-proof pumps for flammable liquids and vapors, industrial chillers capable of maintaining large tanks of solvent at temperatures below 60 Celsius. They also offer extensive tech support and consultation services. So whether you need to set up an extraction lab from scratch or you just need some replacement gaskets, Give them a call at 855-553-3887 or check out their website at www.bogart.com. Welcome to The Hemp Show, the show that gives you access to the world of wholesale hemp, from raw materials to finished goods and everything in between. I'm your host, Mark Ristelli. Hello and welcome to the April 6th Hemp Show powered by CanTrade. My name is Mark Ristelli. I'm the CEO of CanTrade and the host of the Hemp Show. Next up on the Hemp Show, we have Maureen A. West, the General Counsel and Compliance Officer for Functional Remedies, LLC. In addition to her role with Functional Remedies, Maureen has a boutique law firm named Maureen West and Associates, LLC, where she practices cannabis regulatory and business law. In her past, Maureen served as a Colorado Assistant Attorney General for 16 years and then became the first industrial hemp program manager for the Colorado Department of Agriculture before she entered the private sector and began working at Functional Remedies. She also is an adjunct professor at the University of Denver. Thank you for joining us today, Maureen, and welcome to The Hemp Show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Well, let's let's dive in. You obviously have a very, you know, a very interesting background having come from the law side and then getting into managing the Colorado Department of Agriculture, which correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not in Colorado and you're obviously the expert, but for the most part they manage a lot having to do with the hemp side of things and the cannabis cultivation stuff, right? Right. So um, it's been an interesting journey, um, especially because we were, you know, I think the first state to uh, legalize cannabis. And so it's just been an interesting journey between cannabis and hemp and just trying to, you know, find our way through all of this. Um, And five years later, we're still trying to all find our way through this. So, right. So, so I got to ask a question here, being an assistant attorney general for 16 years, you've obviously seen, you know, a lot of say cannabis crime prosecution, that type of stuff. Prior to jumping into the cannabis and hemp industry, was part of your experience um, as an assistant attorney general and being on kind of the legal you know, side of things, did, did that kind of help shepherd you into the space as far as like, were you, was your mind always open to the hemp side and, and the possible medical benefits? Or did that kind of come along with your experience as um, the assistant attorney general? That's a great question. And, and I think it's, um, I love to give voice to this because I'm sort of your classic example of somebody who um, really didn't know anything about cannabis. I certainly didn't know the difference between marijuana and hemp. Um, I was 
you know, very much um, involved in the healthcare community, but in a very mainstream sort of way. So I jumped into hemp um, because I thought it was really interesting from a legal point of view that it was um, illegal federally, but um, legal here at the state level in Colorado. And so, but shortly thereafter, um, I started to realize um, just how important this plant was and that it wasn't something to fear and that we just needed more facts. And I, I certainly, to sort of along the lines of your question, I certainly saw that a lot by representing the different healthcare boards. Um, even before the show, we were talking a little bit about um, anybody who's licensed or registered. Um, this is a challenge because oftentimes um, they are in their in their um, organic acts with that regulate them. They're they're told they can't you know they can't do anything that's federally illegal, and so um, like for example, a physician might want to recommend cannabis to a patient, but that physician themselves, by uh, virtue of their medical practice act isn't supposed to use cannabis. So we have this very interesting conflict going on and, and I'd like to help be a voice to clarify some of that given my, my background. Excellent, excellent. I, I gotta mention this real quick. I've mentioned it before, but the first time I asked a doctor uh, to, you know, if I could use cannabis to treat my plethora of, of sports injuries, uh, he said, sure, if you would like chemically induced psychosis. That was, that was his response. And I was like, okay, see, I'm going to go to a different doctor. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, there's, there's a tremendous lack of knowledge still to this day. Um, but one of the things that really struck me is I was used to some really big cases, um, some really serious things, um, you know, physicians, you know, um, killing patients, <laughs> to be candid with you, um, uh, all kinds of healthcare practitioners, you know, harming patients. And about two weeks after I got to the Department of Agriculture and saw all this fear that was going on and, and you know, this, we've got to regulate, we've got to regulate, I just sort of stopped in my tracks and said, wait a second, this is a plant. Um, <laughs> this is, I mean, I'm used to really big things right. <laughs> that cause serious damage. And this is a plant and we need to kind of back up a little bit here and look at this um, through a different lens. And so that, that has been something that I've pursued ever since. Right, right. So let's take a little bit of a trip here. Let's talk about functional remedies and how you got started there. So, you know, what, what prompted your career in the, in the regulatory space to then jump into actually creating your own hemp brand? Well, um, because when I was at the Colorado Department of Agriculture, I had the um, really a, the unique, wonderful, unique and wonderful opportunity to be um, exposed to all different kinds of people in the hemp industry, from the farmers to the entrepreneurs and to everybody who was creating different kinds of hemp products. What stood out to me about functional remedies is that they wanted to do it right. And that was really important with my regulatory background because um, I do appreciate public welfare and safety. That's what I spent most of my career doing. So I wanted to make sure that I was working with a company that abided by um, those principles. And I, you know, I found that in functional remedies, they wanted to practice good manufacturing practices. They're, they're certified, NSF certified, we're ISO certified. Our lab is a few weeks away uh, from being um, ISO certified. So we, uh, it's just one of these things where you don't come with my background and then start doing things wrong. Right, right. Well, well, kind of, uh, I guess, jumping off of that doing things wrong thing, what do you what do you see in others in the space? What surprised you? I mean, what, what have you seen as far as companies doing wrong, especially coming from the regulatory side? And then what types of things have been have surprised you since making the switch? Well, I think, you know, clearly, um, the thing that strikes me probably the most is that, um, and this is about the hemp industry in general, 
is, is that we're not reinventing the wheel here. Um, again, I come from a long, long history of regulation. Regulation is part of our everyday life. I always tell people, if you go to the bank, you're regulated. You go to a restaurant, they're regulated. You know, you're, you get in your car, you're regulated. You get your haircut, you're regulated. Regulation impacts every part of our everyday life. So we're, we're not new. We're not reinventing the wheel here. We can learn a lot from other industries and just respect that, respect that process that we're not necessarily being picked on because we need to have some regulation. In some areas, I think we're being clearly overregulated, but in other areas right now, clearly um, we're being underregulated because we haven't gotten clarity from the FDA. So that's, that's in, in any regulatory scheme, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Um, there's always going to be bad players. Um, and that hurts the good players. And so um, that's kind of what I see happening right now with our uh, lack of regulation. Um, along those lines, what I really feel is important for any industry, and again, this is coming from my background, the industries that have been the most successful are those that self-regulate. They just, that's, it's critical because you cannot depend upon the government to be, you know, fixing everything for you. They don't have the resources. They don't have the know-how. So if you can self-regulate, that's going to boost your industry um, and it's going, to, it's going to progress a lot faster. The O'Cannabis Conference and Expo returns to Toronto June 1st through the 3rd and there are still good booth locations available. This exciting event is free for cannabis retailers and will feature Tommy Chung receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award at the O'Cannabis Industry Awards. For more information about exhibiting or to register to attend, Go to ocannabis.com. That's O-C-A-N-N-A-B-I-Z.com. Right, right. Now there's this there's this uh, term I heard you say it once before, but the fear not fact approach to regulation. Uh, can you elaborate on that? I mean, I guess it's it's kind of obvious when you see things like the uh, farm bill come out and you have the 0.03% you know, THC limits. And it's like, if it's above that, it has to be, it has to be destroyed. There's a possibility for remediation, but you know, it really is that fear versus fact. I mean, it's like, what are you really going to do with 0.03% THC or 0.05% THC? You know, it's, it's impossible. It's like, you're not going to be able to even get a psychoactive effect from that. Right. (laughs) Yes. It's very much, um, fear-based at this point. And there's, there's lots of different fears. I mean, we could, we could spend a whole program on that, but um, for example, Department of Agriculture's um, there, there, a lot of their basis is, is, I have always said this, they're essentially anti-marijuana programs. And there's this fear that, that there's, that people are going to grow hemp with the real intention of growing marijuana. And that's that. So we have all these regulations, all these penalties, all these things in place to, um, to deal with the, this alleged fear. And, um, but in reality, and I, and I don't, I don't use this word lightly, but it's kind of preposterous because the reality is, is that people, people that want to thwart the law and want to do illegal things, they do not sign up with regulatory agencies. They do not give all their personal information. They do not give maps and GPS (laughs) information just so that they can turn around and try to do something criminal. I mean, it's just counterintuitive. And um, yet right now, that's, I'm not saying all programs. And I think we're, you know, but by, by large, that's the, that's the mentality of, of, of the, of the regulators in these programs. And it's really, it's not that they're bad people. It's just that they don't know any better. And, um, but if you sit and think about it, it doesn't make any sense. And that's certainly what I found as an industrial hemp program manager. 
Wow, that that was incredibly that was incredibly well said. I mean, it it is so true. And ultimately, what happens is when you overregulate right. and you create these, you know, uh, fear not fact rules, right? As far as that point zero three percent, you're harming farmers. It makes it vastly harder for them. They're the ones that are ultimately going to um, eat the cost if that product somehow tests above that, right? So they need to be testing all the time. It's just more money. It's 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 harder to do. It's a inferior oh, product. Yeah. It's, it's a huge hardship and it's really not, it's, it's just sort of um, not, it's not what you see in typical regulatory programs. It's, 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 it's extreme to put it candidly, because if, if in most other kind of regulatory programs, if somebody violates a rule or reg, um, usually there's a, you know, we're going to tell you we're concerned about this. Um, we just want you to know we're aware of it. And then, you know, maybe the second or third time the penalties start to, to rise, but you s- clearly don't lose your whole income <laughs> for a year because you had yeah. a crop go high. I mean, the, the, the so-called um, punishment, if you want to call it, doesn't meet the so-called crime. It's, it's, it's really extreme. And that's what I started to see. Again, coming with my regulatory background, I could look at it very relatively. And I was, I thought this is just really extreme what we're doing to these farmers. Um, and, you know, to, to have to destroy a crop because it tested at 0.38. Right. Um, and because and, there's a lot of money that goes into growing that crop. Yeah. And that, and that money that's going to the crop, I mean, that's put up front, right? These Absolutely. farmers are leveraging themselves beyond their beyond their means, they're taking loans, they're, they're putting their house up as collateral or their land up as collateral. And then all of a sudden it's gone. Right. Right, And then they don't have the income. So it's it's extreme compared to what you would see in any other kind of regulatory scheme. And that's where it comes back to this facts versus fear um, because fear over facts and we need to have facts over fear. Yeah. I couldn't, could not agree more now that now how does this relate um, to the cannabis industry more specifically. So obviously we've been talking about the hemp regulatory bodies. What do you see as far as cannabis law and how that progresses over the next few years? Also considering that THC is still schedule one. Well, I mean, clearly we're moving in that direction. Um, And um, maybe at this point it sounds a little, you know, cynical or jaded, but that's not my intent. My intent is experienced. Um, You follow the money trail. This is how it works. Um, we have these altruistic, we want to protect public welfare and safety um, ideas. And, and there's truth to that. There's a lot of good people in government that go to work in government agencies for that purpose. But there's also a lot of money involved. There's a lot of um, regulation uh, is a way, is a means for government entities to, to get income. Um, penalties and all these kinds of things that that's you know, that's income and licenses and regulations and all these things. So we're going to, we're going to see that that people just need to kind of keep in mind that that is part of it all. Um, It is, it is a moneymaker and and cannabis is not going to go away maybe just for that reason alone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. But there's obviously going to be some very major changes and I'm, you know, super curious to see what happens when the the federal government actually does deschedule THC. And what I think that's we're going to see a lot of heavy regulation. I mean, I think we, we will. Oh man, I'm sorry. I just I just rolled my eyes back in my head a little bit. That that sounds brutal. <laughs> you All know, right. uh, I, I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't I don't think you are at all. Um, but no, this was this was excellent. And our our 15 minutes, it flew by. Uh, so if yeah. you're interested in connecting with Marine and functional remedies, please add them to your network on CanTrade. You can also place orders and ask questions directly from the Functional Remedies wholesale store posted in the webinar chat, also in the CanShade feed and in the podcast and YouTube show notes. 
Thank you very much for being here, Maureen. Thank you. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.